I'm not sure how big the steaks are going to be on your barbecue this afternoon, but I promise you I'm looking forward to lunch with my dad. It's really, really special. Uh, my dad crammed more into his life than any other man I've ever met. Uh, I've said this publicly before, but I think my dad has lived a lifetime of five men. He truly is an absolute hero and a champion. And uh, I, I'm, I, I esteem him and admire him, absolutely. He, um, he's in his mid-80s now, but he continually seeks every day to fill his life with joy and live every day to its fullest. He's an inspiration to me and to so many other people. Uh, he's doing incredibly well for a man in his mid-80s. He's had a triple bypass, suffered three strokes, two of them completely debilitating. He was incoherent. He'll do better this morning because I'll make sure of that. Uh, fighting bone cancer. And uh, life for, uh, for my dad has been an incredible adventure, an absolutely amazing adventure. I want to honor my dad. It's a complete... I'm going to have to stop a couple of times today. That's just how it goes with me. But uh, I want to invite you just to stand your feet and honour my dad this morning as he comes. Come on, Puff. Go ahead, family. Be seated. If you're joining us online today, we're really glad that you've tuned in wherever you are across Australia and around the world. Uh, my dad's name's Arthur, and uh, he, he, uh, <laughs> he's a character, my dad. He's a character. And I, I've promised him that he has to behave today, okay? So if he gets out of line, uh, Shirley, I'll just get you to do a run and tackle on him, and uh, we'll, we'll start with that. Um, amazing life, an, an incredible life, born at a very early age. He... Uh, he grew up, he grew up uh, sort of Sunshine Coast, around the Sunshine Coast. Where were you born, Pa? I was born in Nambour. You've got a microphone. I was born in Nambour. In Nambour. It was a raging metropolis of, what, 2,000 people? Maybe about that many at the time. And what did you do when you were a boy? What did I do? Yeah. I was just a boy. You went to school, you lived on a farm? Yeah, we lived on a farm and went miles, not kilometres, to school every day. Didn't have push bikes, we walked. Why didn't you have push bikes? We couldn't afford them, I suppose. Were you born into a Christian family? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, mum and dad are incredible believers. They came into an experience in the Holy Spirit back in the early 30s when the Holy Ghost fell out on so many people. How old were you when that happened? I wasn't born then. So you grew up in a Pentecostal family? Yes. Yeah, we never had medicine in our house. Never had any medicine. Or shoes. Or shoes. <laughs> we lived on prayer. If there was something wrong with us, Dad would pray for us. Yeah. Nothing else. Right. If you're a crook, Dad would pray. What were Pentecostals treated like back in those no, days? We were outcasts. Right. At school, we were outcasts because we belonged to that funny mob. Right. So you that belong to funny mob? <laughs> <It must> I'm <laughs> doing the interview here. Uh, that, that must have been a challenge for you as a younger person. Well, I guess it was, but we were used to it, and so we accepted it. Yeah. What was your relationship like with your dad in those early years? Uh, your oh, early I love my dad. Yeah. 
Everywhere dad was, I was. Why was that? Well, he gave us time. And I think the key thing to it was that our family was held together by prayer. Daily devotion in our home. What did that look like for you guys? It was the normal. There was nothing strange about it. It was just a normal thing where Bible reading and prayer in our home every day. So you learnt that and that's the track that you kept our family on. Well, Dad prayed for us and we read scripture every day and later in life when we got married, we had Bible reading. Elan and I had Bible reading before we got married. When we were ever together, we'd always Bible reading. So no kissing, just reading the Bible? No, just hold hands. That's all you're allowed to do. I took your mother out for five years before I kissed her. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to say something to that. I just have, I need more time to come back with her. I need, I need a bit more time to come back. He's going to put me on the spot this morning. Hey, things weren't always great between you and your dad, were they? <coughs> when your dear mother died, dad remarried and the new stepmother didn't want to know us. And how many children were there? There were seven of us. And the stepmother didn't really gel with us because, well, we were, we were not sort of welcome in the home then. That must have been a huge, huge crush for you. There was a very serious setup. How did you deal with that pain and disappointment, Dad? It was quite simple because I married your mother. That was a total upgrade, i got to tell you. <laughs> I met the stepmom. It was a total upgrade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. So well, how did your life change when you became a father? Well, your eldest brother. Who, your yes, he's the favourite. He's the favourite. He's <coughs> the firstborn, he's the f and rightly so. And he's definitely I was, a good-looking I was engineering in a flour mill at the time in New Zealand, and... I used to carry him around in the front of me overalls and under me overalls. I was sticking down inside of me there and just have his head sticking out the top of me. Head. So he was a bit special. He sure is. He's a champion, my brother. And how did your world, how did you feel differently about the world when you became a dad? I felt it was not only a privilege and an honour, but it was an incredible responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Did you make any mistakes as a dad? Yeah, I probably didn't get the stick out enough. <laughs> I still bear the marks in my body like the scripture says. But it wasn't Jesus doing it, if you get my meaning. If you get my meaning. You took us as a family back to Papua New Guinea. You'd been there before you married mum. You went up into the Fly River and you went to places where no white person had been before. Yes. The nomadic people up on the top of the Seapik River. It was amazing to see them and minister there. These men were cannibals. They were. You had to look over your shoulder all the time. They'd so invite you to a barbecue. So, <laughs> so, so I want to know why you didn't end up in a pot. I mean, you're good white meat. There was too much salt in me, that's the thing. <laughs> because of your trawler days, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I can still see going up the river and see the nomadic people come there to see the boat going past 
and come down and you'd wave and try and make contact with them. They were nomadic, wild, wild headmen from the mountain country. What did they make of your presence being there? <laughs> Ultimately, they warmed to us and they came. They came out and many of those people accepted the gospel which they'd never heard or seen before. Why did you feel like it was so important to risk your life to leave the woman you love before there were mobile phones, FaceTime, Zoom, all of those things to go into such a remote place and take the gospel of Jesus Christ? I never saw anything about risk. I never saw anything about danger. I never saw anything about any of those negative things. It was just a privilege to go and do what we did in those times. So, But we wrote letters, and when they got posted, Elon would keep the letters, and that's 60 or 70 years ago now, and she still got all those same letters. I'd like to put it in a book. That's cool, hey? But I wouldn't let you read these letters. <laughs> no, I'm not old enough to read those kind of letters. Absolutely. My wife's got a box of letters herself. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't read those either. <laughs> well, I promise you they're more sanitised. Incredible history in those letters, I can assure you, of, of uh, working with those people. Dad, I was a child, obviously, in New Guinea. I remember our, your youngest, my, my sister, Coralie, and we would go into a village and the, the nationals would reach into the car and, and want to touch this white doll and then wanted to pinch this white doll to make it make a noise to see that it's real. Yeah, they did that. It was quite a remarkable thing until we had to wind the window up to stop them from pulling your skin off her bones. The women couldn't believe it. What miracles did you see in Papua New Guinea, Dad, when you went there? People in heathen darkness. Coming into a new experience of love and forgiveness and having their lives changed. That might not mean as much to us here today because we don't live in a society of retribution and payback and fear. So as the light came in, how did families and communities transform because of the gospel? It changed the destiny of the people. It changed the destiny of the government and uh, it put a status upon the people. They learned with education, and some of those people that were, were come out of that dark age today, and their children, uh, leading scientists and airway pilots and brain surgeons, because they had opportunity. Amazing, amazing. If you could have your time over, would you go back again? A hundred percent, yes. A hundred percent, yes. You you can't turn the clock back, but but awesome times. You've given your life for this message of Jesus. I quote a scripture repeatedly <coughs> on that subject. He alone, Jesus alone is the only one who has the words of eternal life. Nobody else. He's worth following. Yeah. 
how um tell us about those times in your life because we all go through them where we wonder where God is why he seems afar off to us he seems to take as others have said the, the hiddenness of God that okay God may be out there somewhere and I, perhaps he was close to me some other time in my life but right now I, I can't I can't work out where he is I can't work out where he is in this situation that I'm going through I don't remember one particular occasion, but there's been dark times. That uh, take a lot of getting over from time to time. We've had two of them, particularly we lost our mother. She was only young. We often say that people are 50, they're too young to die. But as time went by, we lost your sister. What do you do in those moments when God doesn't answer your prayer the way you know he's supposed to? Because you and I, we know better than God, right? My answer is always in the two darkest hours of my life was to stand there and acknowledge that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And if you don't understand the significance of the word sovereign, in my meager understanding, he's sovereign. He's all-knowing, all-caring, and all-loving, and all-forgiving. Wrap it all up together. He is sovereign. But he makes the final decision. Did you find peace with that? It's the only way you can find it. How long is that process of healing, God? I believe that you get healed, but... Uh, Maybe we could say you get healed, but you don't necessarily forget. It changes you. It, it helps shape the person that you are, either bitter or, or, or more compassionate, more, more gentle. Possibly, you're right. As a young man, you're always up for an adventure. Always. <laughs> Still am. <laughs> Another challenge. Give me that mountain. <laughs> we'll work on it together. Uh, I'm frightened of telling him some of the dreams that I have because he looks at me a little bit strange at times and says, do you know how old you are? I said, yeah, only your age. His brother, my Uncle Merv, often says, uh, I'm only a young man of 21 years and some months. And uh, <laughs> he's in the shade of this guy as well. Dad, you built by hand trawlers to go and fish prawns in the Gulf of Carpentaria back in the 60s. I did that, yes. What was it like in the Gulf of Carpentaria in the 60s? Exciting and challenging. I could tell you a story, but nobody here would believe me. I have seen, and I have photos to prove it, to throw the nets out the back and jerk up 10,000 pounds of prawns onto the boat and in the hull of the freezer in three minutes. That's, that's five tonne, close to five tonne of prawns. Have the net stop the boat jammed with prawns, winch them up and drop them in the hull of the boat in three minutes. So Beat that if you can. So where's the money? That's what I want to know. Where's the money? <laughs> Where are you hiding the money? <laughs> yeah. 
the prawns were that thick. Now, eh? we read in the Bible about that guy that went out with Jesus one day fishing and he ended up in the drink. And I understand you ended up in the drink as well. Out off the Mission Beach here, you oh, went yeah. for a swim. Yeah. What happened? Oh, we lost the boat off Dunk Island on the way back home to Townsville. With a fire. We caught fire. Yeah. What was going through your mind when your boat's on fire sinking and you're in the water? <coughs> I should have stayed with cane harvesting. That's what you're probably thinking, right? Wife and kids to come home to. Yeah. Where was God in that tragedy? I didn't see him. I didn't feel him, but he rescued us. I saved a man's life. And quarter of an hour, 20 minutes later, a boat came from nowhere. And some of you might know this man's name. A man's name, Perry Harvey. Does that mean anything to anybody? Perry Harvey operated a tour boat out of Mission Beach. He used to take people out to the coast and we never seen his boat anywhere. He was on his way back home from on the reef bringing tourists home and he come by and picked us and picked us up. Did God spare your life that day for a reason? No. <laughs> Often I just... I reckon your angels are worn out. Oh, I reckon they lost their feathers. No, they just flapping got, around. They've got bigger you, muscles, mate. Trying they. to keep you out of an early grave. That's, that's what I reckon. That's why they're there always at the door protecting me. You believe in angels? I do. Definitely do. Have you seen angels? Have people seen angels with you? I was preaching on a little island called Stephen Island up in the middle of the Torres Strait in a schoolroom. There's only about 50 people live there. And I was preaching there. And uh, when I finished preaching, an old man come up to me and he said, <coughs> I only saw that young bloke standing in front of you. He was all covered in white. He said, it must have been an angel standing in front of you preaching to us. I've heard some of your sermons, so I'm glad God upgraded and uh, helped you out that day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dad, I drive in the truck with you, drive in the car, and next minute you're praying in a strange language. Just Is that normal to you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've done it for 65 years, praying a prayer language all the time, in the night time, in the daytime. When there's a problem, when I can't find anything, I say, Lord, I just need you to help me find it. How important is prayer? Oh, that's the, that's the staff of life. Right. And Without prayer, we can't go anywhere. And God's word. Amen. You when, still read it. Oh, well, mate, oh, I love reading the word of God. And those scriptures, they become embedded into your spirit. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Lord, I'm with you always. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hey, come on. You can preach another time, but today, why do you love God's word? Why have you hidden it in your heart like that? It's real. And he alone has the words of eternal life. There's some dads here today that are struggling. They feel like we're not quite measuring up. We're not we know that we're inadequate as a dad. What fatherly, paternal counsel have you got to us young men? 
You need an encounter with Christ and the Holy Ghost. There's no other answer. You need an encounter with God. You need an encounter with him. Such an encounter that it will radically change your thinking, your mind, your outlook, and every aspect of your life, and you'll never be the same again. A divine encounter with God. Too many people come to church and they love the sermon, but you've got to get past the sermon. They're all nice sermons. I preach sermons too, not as good as him. He's smarter than me with God. If you don't have that, you've got nothing to fall back on in tough times. Because he says, Lo, I am with you always. Young men, old men, when you go home tonight, tomorrow, go out in the car, go out in the backyard, drive out in the bush and stay out there and cry out to God with all of your heart. Cry out to God out in the darkness somewhere where you can feel all them boogeymans around you and you get absolutely scared, stiff, stiffless and call out to God and get God to come and visit you and minister to your life and it'll change you. Dad, the church, is it worth it? Church? Yeah. Why should I give up an hour and a half a week sitting in a building with other people that I don't even like? Why should I do that? My church and fellowshiping together is so important. How has it helped you practically? Oh, very rarely we have ever missed church ever even go on holidays we'll always go to church and if we know where to be going to church we'll always have extra bible reading and extra prayer and pray for you and pray for all of the family and for the house of god it's so important it's our life it's our bread and butter eh? you keep going back even though i know that You haven't always you haven't always been honored like you should have been. Me. But you kept going back and even when people put the knife in verbally and behind your back, but you kept loving. How did you find the strength, the grace well. and the wisdom to do that? Well, those sort of things only come from the input of the Holy Ghost into your life that enables you to be an overcomer. There was a dear island lady, very good friend of mine in the Bamiga church, and she always used to say to me, Pastor, I want that crown. I'm looking for the crown. And I'd say to her sister, what crown do you want? She says, there's only one crown for me to get. I'm not interested in all the other crowns. There's only one crown. That's the overcomer's crown. Come on, come on. Come I want that overcomer's crown. Yeah, yeah. And that dear soul, she got the overcomer's crown. God spoke to her. She went to church at Easter at 3 o'clock in the morning, walked a couple of kilometres down to the church and went in and started serving God, walked in at night time. She got up to sing on the platform in the church and walked back down to the seat and died as soon as she finished singing 
unto the Lord. She sat in the front seat of the second front seat of the church and passed away there and got her crown, overcomer's crown. Wonderful system, a wonderful testimony. They had to come and get the ambulance to take away, but she'd already done gone. Overcomer's crown. That's the one you want. Did she go to heaven? Well, according to the word of God, which is eternal, it never fades and never changes, yes. Why do you believe so adamantly in the reality of heaven? It's my home. Not yet. But well, it will. well, I can live there now. Why is it so real to you? Why are you so adamant in, in the assurance that you have when we were young, life. when we were young, there was many choruses, and I'm an older person now, and a lot of the stuff that we sing in a church today, it doesn't grab my spirit. But some of those old choruses that we don't sing anymore, oh, we sing them at home. Yeah. He's real to me, so real to me. Jesus is so real to me, and that's the most powerful thing I can get. Is he real? My wife is real to me. My family are real to me. Jesus is real to me. So real to me. Hallelujah. Someone's here today. They got dragged along, came to church, kicking and screaming. They're watching the video here today. What would you say to them, Dad, about getting right with Jesus? <laughs> Saying yes to Jesus, inviting Jesus into their life. What would you say to them? One of the most powerful verses of scripture that I find <coughs> in scripture is the king put on a banquet and he invited all these people to come and three people had three different lots of excuses to come to the banqueting table and he said, well, go out in the highways and byways, find them hiding underneath the bushes somewhere, but drag them in and let them come in to my table. Jesus has prepared a banqueting table. Would you say no to that? If you're not really pressing on for God, my, my advice is, my pleading is, let today be the day you say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Here's but today is the first day of my life that I want to follow you and give you my undivided attention and give you my undivided love. Minister into my spirit. Change me today. Make me the person you want me to be. Years ago, people used to think, oh, I'm not going to go to church, they preach hellfire and brimstone at people. And all you hear about is hellfire. Well, I heard a great preacher one time says, if I was dangling over the top of the hell flames for about one second, I wouldn't want to go there. I'd run from that and I'd go into a place of refuge and safety in the arms of Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. You've heard from God, you've heard God speak to you and that has directed your life. I remember in the 80s when we were living in Townsville, it was quite a significant financial 
sort of recession going on, but Holy Spirit spoke to you about buying machinery. And there was no machinery selling, but God gave you a word, gave you a figure. And you went and bought all this earth move machinery. And how, how quick did you, what time frame was that you turned that machinery over? Oh, I don't know the exact time frame, but... <coughs> Mum, do you remember? <laughs> was it months or six months or 12 months or something? Yeah, we had a lot of plant to sell. You bought and sold <coughs> stuff? We because did, Because God yeah. spoke to you. And you acted on what God said. I did act on what he said. And uh, the amazing thing, I was driving home one day and the Lord said to me, put a little ad in the paper. And I put a little two-line ad in the paper for sale, such and such. Two days later, the telephone's ringing up and machinery was sold. Gone like that, you know. But there's a word from God, sell this or buy that you or something else. You might not remember, but I do. It was a million dollars worth of machinery and people called you crazy for trying to take on something when nothing was selling. But God had spoken to you and so you stepped out. You can do anything when the word of the Lord comes into your spirit, eh? Because that's how faith comes, right? That's faith. How does, how, does, how does faith empower you when God speaks? Talk to me about that. Is it just confidence that you get or it is, is it something more than that? It's incredible confidence. It's a knowing and a knowing and a knowing. And uh, anybody that knows anything about it, I'll walk out of a shop and I'll see a sign up there, something's for sale, and I'll, I'll check that ad out a little bit and I'll put it into my spirit. It'll go into my spirit and when Elance comes out of the shop... I'll say, we're going to go and have a look at such and such. Go and have a look at it and buy it. You name it from anything, from push mowers, ride-on mowers, zero mowers, cars, trucks, tractors. How old are you? <laughs> What's your health like? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and, who, and, and who's the Johnny on the spot that has to help? Oh, yeah, I've got an offsider that helps me sometimes too, and I really when I, when I I appreciate it. When I was a child, one of the properties that we lived on was out at Langshaw. Yes. And things were tough for us then. We went through they the were tough times. We then. went through the beef depression. We'd we recently come back from being missionaries in Papua New Guinea. Things were tough. We used to, we didn't have a car. We used to go to church in a, in cattle, a, truck. In a cattle truck. But you used to love giving away pumpkins. Oh, I did too, yeah. <laughs> we give pumpkins away like they were going out of fashion, I tell you. And pumpkins, big Queensland blues or desert blue pumpkins. Uh, pumpkins come up and they just grew crazy. And do you remember that? Away. Do did. you remember that time you sent me out to get the last pumpkin? Yeah, I did. I do distinctly remember it. And you come back inside and you said, "Dad, there's no more left." I said, "Well, we'll give it away anyway." And what happened then? Well, I just want you to verify the story that I told. Well, I'll tell the story then because this is what happened. We gave the last big pumpkin away. In this particular time, we must have given away 50 pumpkins to people that came and we'd take them and give them to people. And no sooner the last pumpkin was gone and I said, there's no more pumpkins left out there. And within a couple of days, that old vine had sprung new life into it and it reproduced a second crop, the same as the first crop. The abundance of God's blessing. You can never, ever get into trouble by giving away. Given it shall be given unto you. Press the hand and shake it together and running over. Now, at the front of your little cottage right now, you've got a self-sown tomato plant that's come <laughs> up. 
Yes, is anybody here would like to have a tomato plant and plant it and look after it? How many tomatoes have you picked off this tomato plant? Mother will tell you. 300 big tomatoes. There's more than 100 tomatoes still hanging on it, and it's probably another 300 flowers there sitting there to produce more. The Guinness Book of Records is how many? <laughs> it's in the, sm <laughs> in the smallest things you'll see in the hand of the Creator work for you. Why does your eye see that? How have you trained your heart to be so grateful? You can never understand God to the capacity that you should do. If you want a tomato plant, I've got some beautiful tomato plants coming up like this. I've got some beauties. I've got about 50 I planted, and I've got them in the seed box up about that high now of this miracle tomato. It's the progeny of the original power parent bush there. Okay. I'll bring some in here in a <laughs> month's time and you can plant them in your garden and see how you get on. We're not here talking about tomato plants. We're trying to be Christians here. And yeah, we're talking about the miracle of God. He's a miracle-working God, isn't he? He's a miracle-working God. i got a candidate up there that wants a plant. I see the hand is there another. <laughs> I see the hand is there another. You, plant, you plant these and see. I'm believing that this tomato bush, this one tomato bush, is going to produce 1,000 fruit. Elan documents it every time we pick it, and she takes a photograph of the new lot, 285 or whatever it is, and it's marked on the tray when I put them on the table, and she takes a photograph of them. We're going to try and finish this message, otherwise you and I will be sitting here all morning, and I'm keen to get home to the barbecue. Uh, <laughs> Dad, we've seen the moving of God's Spirit in powerful ways, miracles, oh, angels, amen. anointing. Amen. You know, incredible things. Are those days all gone? They're not gone. Can I share one miracle that I saw? Can I share one miracle? Am I allowed to do that? <coughs> we had a sovereign move of the Holy Ghost in our church in Mossman some years back. I'm talking about a sovereign move of God that people couldn't even get out of their car in the car park. The Holy Ghost would slay them. Visitors had never been there before. They'd be slain in the car park. They'd come in the church. The presence of God was there. Incredible miracles took place. This went on for months. Incredible miracles of sovereign hand of God. Little children, little children filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues and prostrated on the floor for hours and hours at a time. Do you believe that stuff? Well, you want to believe it because it's coming. Now, one of the greatest miracles that I saw, apart from incredible healings, incredible healings in people's lives, my daughter-in-law, not this one. This one's very talented. My other daughter-in-law... Is also very talented. Is very talented, but differently talented. <laughs> She's differently talented. She totally is. She's a clever girl. She She's really a clever is girl. Amazing. Wonderful woman, eh? We love her dearly, dearly, dearly. She hasn't got one bit of music in her bones, not even a good singing voice or anything. Anything can't, can't I shouldn't say this, can't sing for nuts, but she tries like we all try. <coughs> can't play anything. She was sitting in the congregation, and you don't have to believe this, but it's still documented and it's truth. 
she got out of her chair while the Holy Ghost was moving on people in the moon. She got out of her chair and she walked up onto the platform like this and there was a flower pots in the flower pot like that. She pulled two big flowers out. She put the flower out that sort of a mouth and the flower out that sort of a mouth. You say, what for? I don't know why. She went up to the piano and she sat in the piano and she played that piano like you think is it some absolute incredible, a Stedford somewhere, absolute brilliant. Her hands were going like this, going like this, and she's got these flowers stuck out of her mouth like that, like that, and she played the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful music you could ever hear anywhere, anywhere. And she got up off the platform, off the chair there, and she took the flowers and threw them in the floor and went and sat there, and she's never played another note since. But it was a sign and a wonder, yeah, a yeah. sign and a wonder. Yeah. And keep watching because the signs and wonders going to continue to happen here. Amen. Look for them. Amen. Look for them. Amen. Amen. Believe for them. Amen. Pray for them. A sign and a wonder. Yeah, so good, so good. We're going to close our service and we're going to pray. Can I say one more? Get invited back, okay? Go this on. This is the last one. All right. <coughs> Jane, would you come and jump on the keyboard? Without the flowers. Everybody knows, everybody knows what a porpoise does. A porpoise goes along in the water and does this, doesn't it? A dolphin? Does a dolphin. Yeah. Dolphins. <coughs> I was present with my father, with a couple of my sisters, when my father passed away at, our, at his house at Bribey Island. I was there with Dad when he died. We were praying and singing with him when he died. And just after he died... A little while, half an hour after to an hour later, my sisters and I, we walk across to the edge of the waterfront there and there those porpoises were. They were doing a sign and a wonder. You've never seen this and you'll never see it again. The porpoises, three of them in unison, come up out of the water up high and stay stiff like that and then go backwards into the water and go up again and go backwards into the water. And they did that, they did that for 300 metres with the current of the tide going down. They did that up and down and went backwards. Now my family all witnessed, witnessed it, a sign and a wonder. We went back home to the house and our dear neighbour, Lectoral Shirley, lovely Christian lady, she said, I saw it. And she said, I've never seen anything like that. I said, Shirley, that was a sign and a wonder. When the believers of God, Christian people, pass away and die, the creation around about us all rejoice. Amen. And rejoice. A sign and a wonder. A phenomenal thing that took place. Anyway, God is a miracle working. He can do anything. Why don't you trust him? And expect a miracle today. Wait. You've got to pronounce the blessing, Dad. You've got to pray over us. <coughs> Let the men stand up. Father, this morning, I pray an incredible impartation of your power and your spirit and your life and the word of God to infill these men today that they be priests, Unto God, the Holy Ghost, come upon them in a fresh dimension in the mighty name of Jesus.
We bless them. We bless the women and the children also today. And thank you for your love and your goodness and every blessing. Lord, we endure all the time. We thank you, Lord, for your love. You are the only one that have the words of eternal life. Hallelujah. And we'll hold on to them. Amen.